Welcome to Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, where we explore how studies here are changing our world today and in the future. The case of Nicola Bully, who went missing in a rural English village in January 2023, highlighted the concerns that many people have over true crime coverage, unregulated on the internet. But true crime amateurs have been known to solve crimes and create awareness, often using unique methods. What a lot of these users are doing is they're using those very popular, funny, light-hearted methods to tackle really much more meaningful and serious things. That's why TikTok's so interested in true crime. Even the kind of dances that are popular on TikTok, they'll hijack them for their own purposes because that's a way of getting on the main page and getting more popularity and going viral. That's Dr. Simon Hobbs, Senior Lecturer in Visual Culture in the School of Art, Design and Performance. And alongside his colleague, Dr. Megan Hoffman, also from the University of Portsmouth, we'll explore the possibilities and the pitfalls of true crime coverage in the 21st century. For a genre that's been around for decades, it might surprise you to hear how true crime online can create a positive outcome for victims, families, and even justice. The shocking story of Nicola Bully's disappearance whilst walking her dog hit our TV screens and continued to receive substantial media attention over a number of weeks. Very early on, Megan says the attention also spread online. A lot of social media amateur sleuths started also investigating the case for themselves. And on TikTok in particular... Some people actually went to the area where they were looking for her body, carrying out their own investigations. And this was obviously very harmful because they had nothing to do with the case. They had nothing to do with the police. Both Nicola Bully's family and the police released statements condemning the social media sleuthing. But it didn't stop people. And eventually even TikTok released an anti-bullying and harassment statement about the kind of social media coverage that this case was getting. And whilst we're going to be speaking about many of the positives that come for victims of crime and their families in the online world, the Nicola Bully case was a sad example of how things can also go badly wrong in our internet age. Here's Simon. Plenty of the reports on it will talk about armchair detectives getting out of the armchair and visiting the site. But also not just that, you get the spread of misinformation, conspiracy theories, guesswork which during a live case can be hugely damaging, not only to the police efforts, but also the family and loved ones. With a case such as Nicola Bully, which blew up in more ways than one, both in traditional media and on social media, those kind of impacts can be really broadly felt and quite harmful to all involved, really. So it, it was a real moment, I think, in TikTok sleuthing, although not the first one. We've seen it in America as well. I even think that probably the huge blow up around the Nicola Bully case was influenced by the Gabby Petito case in America. It was the case of a woman who is sort of like an Instagram influencer, like a van life influencer who went missing. And that kind of had a similar blow up. And because she herself was an Instagrammer, people were sort of pouring over her Instagram account and saying, oh, I see a clue here. I see a clue here. Not necessarily helping with the case, but just trying to partake in the excitement of this investigation around her very sad murder. Of course, mainstream media had a part to play in the coverage of the case. 
And Simon says that online discussion, whether good or bad, wouldn't happen without traditional media picking up the story in the first place. TikTok and other social media pages, they can only really drive interest. It's like a shadow, a community in a shadow economy almost that feeds from the mainstream. So if no one was reporting on the case, then no one else would watch it. TikTok sleuths become viral or popular because of mainstream interest. Now, mainstream interest can only really be provided by the mainstream media. There's been any cases on TikTok that are covered with just as much passion or care or are just as intriguing, for want of a better word, that don't get picked up on because the media itself doesn't. So traditional journalists, newspapers, news reports, they're the driving force, really, I think. Even pre-internet, there was an audience for so-called true crime. But who is that audience? Back in the 80s, there was a study done over 80% of the true crime magazine audience was women. In 2018, a study was done over 70% of the true crime podcast audience is women. So I think it's really interesting to look at this and to look at who is consuming it. And that also feeds into who these stories are about, particularly with more recent true crime, but obviously also with true crime in the past. These stories are about women. They're about dead women. They're about women getting murdered, which is quite interesting because the more likely murder victims statistically are men of color and women are far less likely to get murdered. And I think perhaps the true crime audience feeds into who is actually getting depicted in these true crime outputs. And that says something interesting about our society and about our society's attitudes to women and about misogyny. And women are watching these things and they're thinking, oh, I should be afraid. I think this 2018 study found that women were watching true crime and consuming true crime. One of their primary motivators was to avoid becoming victims themselves. And so... True crime that's being produced really reinforces this fear and it sort of perpetuates this fear as well. So it would seem that concerns over the depiction of true crime are decades old and the audience profile has seen little change over the years. But social media has an extra element and that's the word amateur. Amateur can both mean the negative of the word amateur, but it can also mean marginal Not only do we not hear certain stories in the mainstream, we don't hear certain voices in the mainstream, we don't hear certain people in the mainstream. So what we found is that social media, particularly TikTok, but also potentially podcasts, have become a space for people of colour to be able to tell their stories that they don't see represented elsewhere. Indigenous people, particularly from the Americas, being able to speak about the kind of crime that's placed upon them. Survivors as well, who might not have the means in which to start a professional podcast or might not feel safe doing so but can easily access TikTok and tell their stories. Certainly in many cases tell stories that have been told by others but take it on themselves. It's an opportunity for family members to get out there and try to raise awareness for a case. True crime on TikTok might be new to you but Megan says there are already some examples of good work being done on the social media platform. There's Sarah Turney, who is a woman whose sister Alyssa was murdered. And the case just sort of got dropped by the police. It wasn't being investigated. So Sarah Turney took to TikTok and she drummed up loads of interest for the case. She got herself a million followers. 
And it ended up being that she got so much renewed interest in reopening the case that the police did reopen the case and they did charge her father with the murder. He's currently being tried this year. So that's an example of somewhere where the family member of a victim really got concrete action. And something else that she's done is she's parlayed her TikTok fame into becoming a true crime influencer for good, as it were. And so now she uses all her followers and all all her cachet to advocate for cases that maybe aren't getting the attention and don't have the family members who are as social media savvy as she is. And she tries to help, which is amazing. And she advocates for an ethical true crime consumption. She doesn't hate the genre. She doesn't reject the genre, but she wants the genre to be used for good. In the podcast world, The Survivor's Guide to Crime is another good example of victims of violent crime getting a voice online, and as a result, help others who might be going through the same thing. And what of the consumers of these podcasts, videos and blogs? We've already demonstrated how not everything online is as it should be. Do the readers and viewers flag items that are potentially causing harm? I would say it depends greatly on what is actually available for them to consume and what makes you think and what educates you about kind of what is ethical and what isn't ethical. You find with a lot of Sarah Attorney's followers, for example, that they then go on other true crime pages and they see content that they don't think is ethical. And they go back to Sarah Attorney and they say, I've seen this. And then maybe Sarah Attorney creates a post of a funny TikTok about it, condemning it. And so in that way, the fans are sort of creating a more ethical fandom. There's another user called the Miss Pamela J who doesn't actually... Unlike Sarah Attorney, she's not really bringing awareness. She is just focused on kind of calling out poor behaviour within the true crime community. So she will post when people have T-shirts with serial killers' faces on it and challenge that behaviour or when people get tattoos or are selling something on Etsy. So she is taking it upon herself to really try to police what it is to be a good and ethical true crime consumer however you can only really consume what's out there and i think we'd argue that plenty of the true crime that exists on huge platforms is also not particularly ethical in its decisions to focus on serial killer stories to ignore victims to use title sequences or posters that make the killer look handsome or edgy or exciting or use reconstructions which are knowingly lifted from the horror genre Hopefully, we've made a case for the power of so-called amateur true crime. And during the COVID peak, the likes of TikTok and other platforms were used as effective tools to address violence against women. During lockdown, a particular hand gesture went viral. And that hand gesture was sort of like your thumb tucked under your other fingers. And that became something that people who were in domestic violence situations could do if they were in a Zoom meeting or on like a FaceTime call with their friends or family to let people know that they weren't safe and that they needed help. And I'm not sure how practically useful that became. However, there was a very famous case in America where a teenage girl who'd been abducted used that hand signal out the window of her abductor's car. Somebody else in a car next to them saw her and called the police, and she was actually rescued because of that. So I think things like that in terms of spreading helpful information... Social media can be quite helpful. We've already spoken about the survivor's guide. There's a lot 
in that podcast, but also on the TikTok pages of those influencers where it is about helping people with grief and dealing with what they've been through or to potentially prepare if you find yourself in such a situation through them telling their stories there's a real kind of sense of this is what to expect when you get to the police station and have to deal with having a rape kit or this is what to try to do if you find yourself in that situation this is what I did and those things can again be very practical for people or make people feel safer or more at ease. If we've encouraged you to explore the world of true crime online, we'd like to help lead you towards some ethical accounts. Megan and Simon have some advice on what to look out for. The people involved in the crime, the person involved in the crime, the victim, the victim's families, the victim's friends need to be directly involved in that production in order for it to be ethical. And I think would add to that, that support needs to be provided to them by whoever is producing the content in order to avoid them being re-traumatized more than they already inevitably will be by telling those stories. I also think in terms of the consumer, I think it's about reading about what you're watching because it's hard to know if the families have been spoken to. However, often if a documentary is made and the families haven't been spoken to, they're going to speak out on social media and it's not hard to find that information. So it's about being aware of the types of shows you watch. It's about perhaps doing your own research to qualify some of the things that are said and some of the stories that are told. It's maybe about looking beyond just what's on Netflix and diversifying what you're watching. It's also about empathy and it's about thinking really carefully about whether if that was someone you knew or cared about, you'd want someone telling that story about you and how you'd want it to be told. What that might mean is that you consume less true crime and that you have to kind of rein it in a bit. But I think ultimately that's a kind of sacrifice worth taking in order to feel more comfortable. It's like anything. How do you ethically consume fashion? Well, you probably don't buy as much. I really only consume true crime for the research that we do. I don't watch it for entertainment. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I can't connect with that part of it. Being proactive rather than reactive would seem to be the key when consuming true crime content, whether it comes from mainstream media or an amateur TikToker. Despite the pitfalls, online true crime can help victims express themselves, can help consumers protect themselves and their family, and in some cases, actually solve crimes that would have otherwise been forgotten and bring perpetrators to justice. Whilst true crime has been with us for decades, the internet has meant that the editorial control of the mainstream media can be challenged by smart TikTokers or podcasters, almost always for the greater good. Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. If you want to find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth, go to our website. You can also get news on the latest developments here at the university direct to your inbox. Just hit subscribe at port.ac.uk forward slash solve. We'll be back next Thursday, continuing our crime theme, following the murder of Sarah Everard in the UK and increased concern over those who enforce the law. We ask who polices the police. They pretty well know what an officer does in terms of their financial affairs, whether they're a registered criminal, but they don't know how an applicant officer thinks. And that's the big difference. That, to me, is where things need to change.